Today's guest is Ken Lett. Ken is the author of the book, A Child Goes to Heaven, in which he writes about his amazing near-death experience and how he was shown future events that would take place in the United States. His book reminds us that life does not end with death, but far from it. Life begins with death. Ken, thank you very much for giving me some of your time this evening, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Um, If I can share anything that's interesting for your viewers, I'll do it. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. So, we know that you've had an NDE, but did you have any paranormal or spiritual experiences before this? Um, Yeah. You know, after... During my near death, I went through a life review and I was shown, and I was eight years old at the time. So I was shown everything about my life up until I became eight. So I got to view my own birth Hmm. and it's been, um, it's been a lifelong integration. Um, Because of that, um, I was shown spiritual things that happened to me when I was younger. Um. I, I remember being shown who my parents would be. So I believe I, I lived a previous life. Hmm. Um, actually, <laughs> if you want me to talk about it, I could tell you a little bit about my previous life because I, I do have memories. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, uh, let's just start at the very beginning, the, my earliest memories of life, period. And uh, that would be somewhere in northern France. Hmm. And I remember it being very green, uh, very beautiful. Uh, but it was a probably, I'm assuming it was the Middle Ages because the house we lived in um, was like straw and dirt. Uh, we slept on straw on the floor. Uh, there was a central fire in the house to keep us warm. So the fire was like on the floor. Um, and there were people there with me. Uh, I do remember a couple of women. I think there were some kids. Not My memories are kind of vague about them. I remember uh, we went to a river that wasn't far away, and we did a lot of uh, work there. Um, and it was like there, were, there was a grass or there were reeds or something growing close to the river. Uh, and we harvested those. That was part of our work. Um, I remember at one point there was like, um, an argument or something happened. Somebody got really angry with me and I, I might've gotten into a fight. It might've been with my wife, but I'm not real sure. Um, but then after that, uh, what I remember is, um, getting really sick and I died alone in that hut. And, uh, my strongest memories are floating up above my body that I could see laying on the hay and floating in and out of my body because I was really sick. And I remember uh, women in my family coming in and out of the hut, not knowing what to do. They were real upset because I was dying. Um, And they finally decided to save themselves. They better leave me because they were afraid of getting sick too. Mm -hmm. So that's why I died alone in that, that hut. And then, once I separated, then I went up and up and up, and I could look down. I could see my body, but then I went higher, and I could see the top of the hut, and then I went up. Then my uh, very next memory 
is up in heaven. And um, I'm meeting with a group of spirits. Uh, this type of this type of thing I'm about to describe, I've heard other near-death people call them the Council of Elders. Hmm. And it's like this Council of Elders up in heaven are very powerful spirits, entities. Uh, they help determine if your spiritual growth is good enough to stay in heaven or whether you should be sent back to, for more learning. Well, unfortunately, in my case, they asked me several questions. Apparently, my answers weren't good enough. And it was determined that I should go back to Earth and live another life. And here I am. Hmm. So every day I try to learn something new if I can. <laughs> but I had somebody with me that was like a counselor or a support person. Um, uh, I, I guess you could say a guardian angel. Somebody was there for me and just for me that helped me answer those questions. And um, so he, he took me out of this room where this, this council was and told me that because I didn't answer the questions and they weren't satisfied with my answers, um, that I would have to go back to earth. And then he opened up like it was below us and he opened up kind of like a, just like a round tunnel, I guess you could say, where we could look down to the earth. And he showed me a very happy couple in a room that would have been like a living room. And they were a young couple and they were, it looked like they were married. They were very much in love and they were very happy. And my uh, guardian angel told me that uh, uh, if you think that these people are nice, if you're comfortable with them, we can send you down and you can become their child and they can, uh, they can raise you. You can live another life. Yeah. And I agreed to it. Hmm. Um, so I had a very close relationship uh, with my mother all my life. And um, I, I remember in the, inside of her. And I remember feeling her emotions. If she was really happy, I knew it. If she was laughing, I, I loved it when she laughed. But if she was sad, I didn't, I, I could pick up on that too. Um, actually, <laughs> some of your viewers might think this is crazy, but I think I remember one night um, when they were having sex too. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I was being shaken around a lot, and that was really unusual, and I didn't understand it. But, um, yeah, uh, when Mom had her orgasm, that was really something. I, I didn't know what was going on there. But, um, okay, beyond all that, <laughs> then uh, then uh, the day I was born, uh, the doctor made a mistake. Hmm. And uh, this was 1955. And the doctor was really old. And um, I remember being pushed out of my mother, part of the natural birth process. I remember the muscles tugging on me and pushing me. And I remember cooperating with it because it felt natural. But the birth stalled. And um, the reason it stalled was because uh, the doctor was really old and he made a mistake. He was giving my mother laughing gas to ease the pain. Uh, but he wanted to take a break and go talk about his hunting and whatnot with my father, who was just in the next room. Uh, 
So he put the gas mask next to my mother's face and turned it on and then told her, just take a breath of this laughing gas whenever you have a lot of pain and I'll be back as soon as I can. Well, he took a long break. Somehow that mask got caught on my mother's face and she got so much that she passed out from it. Wow. And this is during birth. And she told me later on her deathbed, many years later on her deathbed, she told me that it almost killed her. Uh, the doctor had to revive her. And as a result, the birth was really rough and everything. But I have memories of leaving my body during the birth. Mm. And I separated from my body and I, I went out into, I don't know, I just seemed like I just went into another room is what it felt like. But there were a lot of colors. And then I was met by another entity. And it seemed like it was a little girl. And she said, come on, come with me. And she took care of me. And we flew around in this place full of colors. And we flew around. We had a lot of fun. But eventually, um, another entity, another being came to me and said, you must be born. You must go back to your body. So I did. And um, so I went back to my body. And then um, after the doctor took me um, out of my mother, and it was a rough birth. I mean, he had to use tongs and, you know, remove me, actually. Um, <clears throat> after he had me out, um, I wouldn't breathe and I wouldn't respond. And so he had to strike me pretty hard. I say spank, but actually he just struck me like a doctor does to a baby to get them to take a breath. And uh, I wouldn't breathe. So he had to strike me several times. And I, I remember being in and out of my body during that. Um, eventually, um, he struck me when I was back in, and then I felt it, and I cried. And then from then on, I stayed in my body. Um, the, reason I, the reason I can remember all this, I'm certain, is because during my near death at eight years old, um, I reviewed my death, my, excuse me, I reviewed my birth. Mm-hmm. And so I was shown all this hmm. and I'm, I'm certain that's why I remember it because yeah. I know there's skeptics out there. That's very interesting. You know, I'm, and sounds like uh, maybe you died from the plague in the middle ages. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting time jump that you went from the middle age, 500 years or 600 years or 400 years later, which kind of made mm-hmm. me theorize that you can enter lives maybe on any time. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and my memories of my previous life were very vague um, until, well, just in the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of those memories have come back to me. Mm -hmm. But that's because I keep talking about my near-death experience. And it seems the more I talk about it, the more things start coming back to me. And I remember them. Mm -hmm. But I remember as a small child, um, playing in my my parents' backyard, I remember just one day saying to myself, "I think I used to live in France." Mm-hmm. Yes, and it was very green. I remember that. I remember telling myself that, and I don't know where it came from. Hmm. But you know, that's kind of how it is when you're a near death person. That mm-hmm. Things come to you, and it's hard to explain. Have you ever been hypnotized to see if you had, you know, picked up anything else that you could, haven't been able to remember? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, 
No, I've, I've never. Hmm. Um, yeah, if you know somebody, you know, tell them to call me. Uh, I wish I did. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> so um, beyond my birth, which was pretty rough, um, my mother told me that I wasn't responsive for several weeks after I was born. And the doctor told her that because of the uh, laughing gas that I could be brain damaged. So she's all my life. She assumed there's something wrong with me because hmm. I have, she always explained it as you always had like quirks in your personality that people would pick up on, but they wouldn't understand. Hmm. And so she was kind of protected me. Um, and I had a school teacher once tell me, uh, she said, you're not as bright as your sister. You're not as conscious. You seem to be in another place. Where do you go when you leave the room? Mm. I guess I was daydreaming. Mm. And I didn't know what to say. I was just a little kid. You know, you just don't know how to respond to that stuff. But uh, I was labeled a daydreamer and I hard to reach by my teachers. Mm. So, um, then my next my next memory of something spiritual happening uh, was in the crib. Mm. And my mother had put me down to sleep. And my brother wanted to play. And he didn't he didn't want me to sleep. He was a couple years older. Uh, he didn't want me to sleep. He kept arguing with my mother. Well, why does he have to go to sleep now? We were just playing. Why do you have to put him to sleep? And uh, mom told him to leave me alone and so I was I was just starting to snooze. Um, he was left alone for a few minutes. He came into the into the nursery and started poking me and waking me up, and I started to cry. But he was being kind of mean about it, and so I really cried hard. Like I felt hurt, you know, that he was hitting me because he was mad, and I was really sad about it. And uh, mom came upstairs and dragged him out of the room and scolded him. And while I was laying there crying, there were some, there was like two, maybe three balls of light entities that came into the room and they were floating around the crib and they were telling me not to be sad. And they started to sing to me and I started to sing with them. Uh, and then mom came into the room and she couldn't figure out well, why I got so happy. She was glad, but she couldn't figure out why I got so happy and I couldn't talk, you know, she said, well, okay, let's go to sleep. And I, I went right to sleep. Mm. Those uh, balls of light that came to visit me, they were very soothing. Mm. So, um, and I believe I was shown that in my near death as well when I was eight. Okay. Spiritual encounters beyond that. Well, then we'd have to skip until I was in the second grade and I was probably seven, six going, no, I would have been seven. Uh, so that was a year before my near death. I was uh, playing with a good friend in school on the playground. And uh, we raced to a, a, I don't know what you call it. It's, it was called a jungle gym, but it was a square structure, pipes. And you could climb inside it or around it, you know. Mm kind of structured so you could climb out like a ladder, but you can get inside. <clears throat> it's shaped like a cube. Once you got up to the top, there was a platform and you could jump onto something like a, a fireman's pole and we could slide, we could slide down to the ground. Well, I beat my, we raced 
and I beat my friend up to the top of the jungle gym. And I'm standing there waiting for him. And he told me to wait. So I just sort of crossed my arms and leaned back, waiting, thinking there was something back there like a railing to hold me. And there wasn't. Mm, (laughs) And I fell straight back into the open air. When I realized, and I was probably only like six feet up in the air, but for a little second grader, that's pretty high. Mm -hmm. Um, When I realized that I'd made a mistake, I literally jumped out of my skin. Uh, because the next thing I remembered was I was floating and I could see my body on the ground crumpled up at the base of the pole. And I was next to that pole floating. So I kept thinking I'm falling. I have to stop. And I kept reaching for the pole and my arms went right through it. Hmm. Solid steel. And my arms went through that pole. And so I had, I had an out of body experience. So I eventually floated down to my body, and I'm just standing there looking at my body, trying to figure out what is going on here. I had no past reference. I had no idea what it was. Then I heard some girls on the playground scream and run for the teacher because they saw me fall. Um, So the teacher came running. Those girls came running. A whole group of boys came running, laughing all at once. It was just like a herd. And I'm standing over my body and I'm like, okay, I don't like this. I don't want to be surrounded by these people. So I purposely jumped back in and my spirit really wouldn't stay in my body very well. I kept trying to come back out, but I finally stayed in. Ah, The teacher showed up and told everybody to clear out and uh, leave me alone. And, you know, she checked me for broken bones and whatnot. And all I could say to her was, I think I passed out. Mm. and uh, I had no reference. I had no idea what had happened, Mm. and she got really worried. It's like, if this kid is passing out and falling down, I better call his mother, so she did. Mm. And so, yeah, mom came and picked me up. It's a very small town, so it was just a couple minutes, Mm. you know. She came and picked me up and took me home, and I slept on the couch the rest of the day. And I, I kept telling my parents what happened, you know, we talked about it at dinner time that that night, mm-hmm. and uh, I could tell they just didn't really, they didn't think anything of it. When I said my arm went through that pole, they looked at me like, "Well, you must have had a real bump in the head." Mm-hmm. You know, they thought it was all just fantasy. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the next thing. Did you grow up in a religious house? Like, did you go to church or anything? Um, yeah, I went to Sunday school and I went to church pretty regular, but my mother was the religious one. Dad was, well, he'd go along with it, but mom and dad would argue over the table about religion. And I remember one of dad's big things was, well, what about the American Indians? Mm -hmm. You know, he said they had a real love of the land and they're very spiritual. What about their spirituality? Uh, why do we have to go to a Christian church? And uh, mom, I can't remember what she said, but no, it had to be Jesus or nothing. So <laughs> so we, we went to a Lutheran church. It was okay, though. It was a good church, good people, you know, mm-hmm. very supportive. Um, so let's see. So it came 
so it was about a year uh, before I had my near death. And that came because of sickness when I was in the third grade. Hmm. And I came home from school and I got really sick and it turned out to be an appendicitis. Hmm. Um, but my, my parents kept me at home because um, they called the doctor and explained to him over the phone what was going on. And he told them it sounded like the flu and just keep me home. So, um, yeah, they kept me at home for like a week and a half. And then I finally turned really pale. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it scared my mother enough that she called the doctor again. So, uh, yeah, he doctor put me down on his table and he, he poked my, my gut and I yelped because it was really sensitive. I didn't know. <clears throat> I didn't know it hurt until he touched me there. But <clears throat> as it turns out, my appendix had already burst. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. So within just a few minutes, um, the doctor had me, sent me up to the hospital. And, you know, I was in a small room and nurses were getting me all ready for an operation. And my mom was running back and forth trying to make phone calls to my dad. So he would find out, he would know. He had, a, he had the kind of job where he was out of town. He spent a lot of time out of town on his job. So she had to reach him somehow. And there's no cell phones in those days. It was yeah. 1963, you know. So, yeah, it was pretty scary. I wasn't really scared about the idea of having an operation because I didn't know what it was. But, boy, when they put me on the gurney and started pushing me down that long, dark hall away from my mother, then I got pretty spooked. Yeah. You know, but you can understand that's just how a kid would be, you know. Um, then they didn't have, a, what do you call it, anesthetics, where they give you a shot and put you out. They didn't They didn't have that back then. Uh, they used ether on me. Hmm. So, um, yeah, they used ether. And then once I was passed out, then my next spiritual experience happened. <laughs> so, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So, my conscious, the ether, I think what initially happened is the ether sort of just hit me and struck my consciousness and drove me out of my body. Is what it felt like. Because once I was out, I wasn't just out, I was in another place. Mm-hmm. So I was floating around in darkness and I started be- started to become self-aware that um, I was still me. I, I kept thinking, I, I'm still me, I'm still here. So the thought was like, I think, therefore I am. I'm still here. And I wanted to, I wanted to see again, I wanted to hear. I wondered where those things went because I was just surrounded by darkness and those things slowly started to come to me Uh, but then I started seeing spirits rising up from the earth below me and then going up and beyond and they they look like a ghost Um, and they were they were like older people who had passed away is what it looked like Mm -hmm. so being eight years old I described them as grandparents that's Mm -hmm. the age they look like so they would have been 60s 70s you know, um, and then 
after a while, uh, I wondered how come I wasn't going up with them. And so I tried to move. And that's when I realized I had a silver cord that went out of my spirit existence down to my body, down in operating room. And I could see this silver cord. And it was holding me stationary in this blackness. So I just kind of gave up trying. I just sat there and it's like, well, what's going to happen now? I was helpless pretty much. But then I, I got a little bit scared because I started seeing eyes in the distance and they were, they looked like they were pretty far away, but I could kind of hear them. And it was like, it's almost like a group. They were huddling behind something that was darker than where I was. And they were like huddling and whispering to each other come over here, come over here, look, look, look. And they were pointing at me. So I became aware of them. Um, and that was when I realized that I could understand their thoughts. It wasn't just a voice I could hear. I was understanding what they were thinking. It was coming to me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I realized they could understand what I was thinking. And they detected fear. And that made them stronger. And they came after me. Hmm. They appeared to be young, like me, like they were kids. Um, but mean, evil, angry, uh, no love in them whatsoever, no compassion whatsoever. Um, all they wanted to do was was destroy me. Wow. Yeah, it was like it was like I still glowed with a little bit of light, with with life. I still glowed a little bit. They were blacker than black. And they resented me because I, I glowed like that. So they were trying to extinguish my, my light. Mm-hmm. So they could fly. And I was scared. You know, I was telling them to leave me alone. And they'd tease me and imitate my voice and laugh. And they would swoop down and kind of like hit me on a body slam because they could fly. Mm-hmm. It hit me like on the shoulder, and then I would the tether would keep me there, and I'd just spin. It was real confusing, but it got really old. I mean, they were beating me down pretty bad. Mm. And then finally, somewhere, I just called out for help, and I don't know where it came from. I, I think I was repeating something I heard my mother say a few times, and that was, please, God, make them stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they stopped... Um, it was because I said that. Uh, they they were suddenly acting kind of scared, like they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it was so odd because they were so aggressive and they were hitting me. And then when I said, please, God, make them stop, they, they looked around like, you know, what's going to happen now? They acted scared. Mm-hmm. And then way off in the distance, I heard a voice and it started calling out. And it said, where are you? I heard you. I'm coming. Where are you? And I had, it had this voice that said, call back. So I'd call back and say, I'm down here. I'm down here. Cause I could tell it what the voice is coming from up higher. And then the more I called back, it came closer. And then I realized it was a light. So at first it was a light that came to me. Well, as the light got brighter, those uh, black spirits that attacked me, they just took off. Um, they couldn't tolerate the light. Mm. And, um, uh, I believe what it was, what came with that, that was, it was an angel and it was the light of God mm. and uh, evil, darkness, 
blackness, they can't tolerate the light. They have to hide. That's interesting. That's what I discovered. Yeah. So once the angel came there and he glowed, I couldn't see him too well at first, and I told him so. So he backed up and he said, well, you just have to look at me. Just look at me. He said, open your eyes. He was teaching me things, you know. So I can't, I can't. He goes, use your eyes. And so, you know, I was kind of squinting. And then all of a sudden, there he was, Hmm. just as bright as day. Um, A beautiful man, wonderful, nice, loving, just very caring. Um, He had a, a white robe. And he had a horn and he had a sword. Something I haven't shared in a something I haven't shared in a video before, I believe, is that uh, I asked him about those things, the yeah. horn and the sword. I asked him what they were for. And he told me that someday that God or the Almighty would ask him to use it. Hmm. And I have a very vague memory of having him of him saying a battle uh, against the blackness or he might have sent might have said the end of times but that's very vague but he said something about a battle what i find interesting is that i believe you are danish or from denmark that's the same place mm-hmm. and you're kind of describing him as like a viking god with the horn maybe you drink from or blow from and the sword and if that has you know any type of that's pertinent or not that's that's very interesting but um no he did refer to god mm-hmm. not well i guess it could have been a nordic god but it turns out it wasn't it was mm-hmm. god god <laughs> it was like a long ram's horn i found it's interesting the words that you used you said the words please god make them stop and you said you'd heard your mother say that before. So I'm just kind of curious if there's any story along with that. Why would your mother be telling somebody, please, God, make them stop? Do you have any recollection of that? No, mom was a, a very expressive person mm. um, in her family. They they would openly say things like that. Well, yeah, may, yeah. Um, but... I don't remember her ever having an incident where she would have to beg for mercy or something. Nothing like that. Right. And it it may not even be pertinent. It could have been kids playing and just say, Oh God, please make them stop. You know what I mean? Something like that. Or, but I just, yeah, something like that. I thought I'd ask you, um, I have one question here. Um, cause we are live. Um, from Miss Donnie, and she wants to know how could you be sure that this entity was an angel? Um, the love and the caring and compassion that that angel carried was undeniable. Um, it protected me from the evil spirits. Mm-hmm. So it was, that angel was the exact opposite of the uh, black entities that attacked me. Mm-hmm. So um, things get pretty stark my, in my experience, things are pretty stark uh, between evil and good. And good far outweighs the evil, and it's a lot more powerful. Right. And um, it's just it's just hard to deny. Although the angel didn't say 
I'm an angel. Right. But that's the only way I can figure the best way I can describe it. I find it interesting that on the other side, you know, you not only encountered, you know, loving or good entities, but you encountered, you know, bad entities as well. Yeah. You know, and I've talked to a few others about this um, also, and I'm starting to think that if I had not entertained fear, um, because see, I was so lost. I didn't know where I was or what was, what to do. Uh, because I entertained fear, it almost seemed like an invitation to those dark spirits to come to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to tell you, I was a very scared little boy as I went under with the ether. Sure. I was crying. I was very scared. So maybe that was part of it. I, I don't know. But um, I, I do believe now that if I had some idea of what I, what I was getting into, um, if I had... In that situation, if I had thought about God and love and happiness and I want to go to heaven and I want to be loved and protected, I don't think those things would have come to me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I invited them is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what to do. So uh, goodness far outweighs badness, <laughs> yes. you, know, in my, you know, in my life anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, would you like to, should I continue with how the angels sent me up to heaven? Yes, of course. Okay. So um, we, you know, of course the angel had to talk to me about who I was, what I was doing there, those sorts of things. Um, And he checked down into the uh, operating room. I saw him just sort of, excuse me, I just saw him sort of open it up and he looked down. And he, he came back and said, the operation is not going so well. He goes, so I'm going to have to send you up. So then he started um, he started communicating up above us. And then there, there appeared kind of like a yellowish glow, a yellowish light way up high. And he was talking up to this light. But he was a, using a language I didn't recognize. Um, of course, the only language I knew was English. But he was talking to something or someone up there, and then they would respond. And then I'd ask him, what are they talking about? And this this part, our conversation right at that moment is a little bit fuzzy, but I believe what he said was, uh, they're looking for your family up there. Um, and I had no idea that I had family in heaven. Nobody in my family on earth had ever talked about losing someone, ever. So um, I, what I heard in church, you know, heaven was where God is and Jesus. And, you know, I had no idea that I would have family. So anyway, he said, they're looking for your family. Then eventually he said, okay, it's time and I'll have to send you. And then and it was like they gave him instructions. He was needed somewhere else. The angel had to fly on. But he took out his sword and he cut my tether and he put me in a, in a bubble and it, it almost felt like it was plastic and it was big enough that I could, I had room to move around in it. Hmm. So if you can imagine it, it looked like a plastic bubble and even squeaked a little bit. It was weird, but Hmm. that's what it was. Uh, And it was clear and I could see through it. And he said, I have to leave you now, but you're safe. You don't have to worry anymore. I'm going to send you up. 
and you can go where all those other spirits went. You'll be safe. Don't worry. So I trusted him. So eventually I saw myself floating above the earth. I mean, I could look down and see the lights, city lights in the darkness. And then um, I looked up and I could see all kinds of stars and galaxies, and they were just beautiful. And then eventually a tunnel appeared, but I call it a whirlpool. It was slowly spinning. It was quite large at the very opening. And it started spinning very slowly. And it was like drawing lights into it. So I, when I first wrote about this, I thought they were stars. It was taking out of the universe and putting them in the whirlpool. But later I realized um, those lights were actually people. They were people like me, spirits. Hmm. And then I looked, I looked down to the earth right before I entered the uh, tunnel. I looked down to the earth again, and then I noticed there were like, four or five channels of people coming up off the planet headed up toward the the uh, tunnel and then i was inside one of those channels it almost looked like a tube but a lot of people in them um and then it just the tubes just sort of spit us out i guess is the best way to put it they just sort of spit us out into the tunnel and then we were loose and it's almost like the tunnel is used to sort people out. And I don't know how it does it, but, you know, somebody that was with me before was moved over to another place, saw them again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went around and around inside the tunnel. And it was real slow at first. And there were a lot of colors, you know, beautiful colors, mm-hmm. like green and blue, red, yellow. And then got to the end of the tunnel. It was a lot faster, but it wasn't uncomfortable. And then I got spit out inside my bubble still. I got spit out, and then it was just quiet. I couldn't hear any other people. I couldn't see anything. It was just dark. But then up above, I noticed there was a very soft light, and there was like a bank of clouds up there, very soft, pleasant light coming out of it. And my bubble floated up to it and stopped. And I sat there for just a brief moment, and then two hands shot down through the cloud, grabbed me by the shoulders, lifted me up, and set me down. There I was in front of a man, and I had no idea who he was. Um, <clears throat> I told my father about this guy years later. He seemed to think it was his uh, cousin, Eddie, hmm. uh, who had died in the um, Korean War. So he must have died around, I don't know, 52, 53. Well, my dear death took place in 63. So he must have been dead about 10 years. Hmm. Uh, but I, I describe the man as being really happy-go-lucky and real nice, you know. And My dad seemed to think it was his cousin, Eddie. But I didn't know who the guy was, and he didn't know me. So he said, I have some relatives up here a short distance. Uh, Why don't you come with me, and I'll introduce you. So I went up there, and they were trying to figure out who I was. Um, We just didn't know each other. Uh, They finally, and they were older people. They looked older to me anyway. Um, but 
they just kept asking questions. And finally, there was an older lady that said, well, who's your father? And I said, my, my dad, my dad's name is Lyle. And then she recognized his name and she goes, well, he's my grandson. Hmm. So um, that's how we made the connection. So apparently they didn't really know I was coming, which is odd because it seems like every other near death I've heard about people when they were met up in heaven with people, they already knew who they were. Yeah. But in my case, they didn't really know who I was. So I don't understand how that happened, but it did. So we had to talk back and forth for a while. And um, the concept of my living grandparents on earth having parents had never, ever struck me. But who I was talking to were my great-grandparents. Actually, I got one other... I got an old picture of one of my sets of great grandparents over here in the wall. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, so they introduced themselves and were explaining to me that, well, they said they knew that my grandparents, uh, Pete and Bertha. So one woman said, well, I'm Bertha's mother and Pete, the other woman said, I'm, I'm Pete's mother. I finally figured out they were, you know, who they were. So then once we made all those connections, then, oh boy, conversation just took off. I was just surrounded by mm -hmm. spirits, people that were related through my family and they knew my dad, you know, and they wanted to talk and tell me things. And some of them were some of my dad's buddies. I think they might've been killed in the war, uh, World War II. Hmm. Um, and then um, I met a couple of my dad's school teachers um, very nice ladies. And I even think I, I think I've seen my dad's uh, yearbook from high school. I think I can pick out the teacher that I met, at oh, least wow. one of them. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they, they talked about my dad in school and he was a good kid, apparently. Of course, up there, they don't say anything bad about anybody. You know, mm -hmm. there's no judgment not up there. Mm -hmm. So once I got familiar with my relatives and everything, I was pretty happy. And I suppose I should mention this chair I'm sitting in because mm -hmm. it's a little bit gaudy. But <laughs> mm -hmm. when I was introduced to my uh, great-grandfather, Lett, he was sitting in a chair like this. Mm. So I only started talking publicly about my near-death experience around uh, 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember telling some people about my great-grandfather sitting in a high-back chair and what you know suddenly I noticed a high-back chair this one for sale in a buy-sell trade place I think it was in Facebook so I bid on it and got it and I you know it's just because I saw chairs like this up in heaven and it's just kind of special to me so that's why I bought it yeah it's a beautiful I'm not trying chair. to prove anything to anybody <laughs> Yeah, it used to sit in a Catholic church, I think. For some reason, they decided to get rid of it. So, um, yeah, and I, my great-grandfather, when I was introduced to him, he even let me sit in his chair up there. Hmm. But I didn't understand the whole idea they have chairs. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. We didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Well, then, 
So after I was finally introduced to all my relatives and all the conversations kind of died down, um, then one of my great-grandmothers told me that somebody special was coming to, to greet me, to visit with me. And it was somebody outside the family and that this, this person was really special. And so, you know, I was open to it. So this, this woman shows up. And the first thing I noticed about her is my great-grandparents appeared to be dressed in clothes that they would have worn back in their day you know, in the early 1900s. Um, but this woman that showed up to greet me, she wore like a, it was almost like a robe. And the cloth was real rough, a real loose weave. Um, but the thing about her that really stood out at first, her hair was chopped real uneven. I mean, she had hair like sticking out in bunches here and there, just real uneven, messy looking. And I must have said something to her about it. And my uh, great-grandmother and this other woman started explaining to me that when she lived on Earth, they didn't have scissors. Mm. That she cut her hair with a knife. And that's why it looked all chopped. Um, which is really an odd thing. But maybe back in biblical days... For example, maybe they didn't have scissors. Maybe they did use a knife or maybe an axe. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, That none of that mattered to me because, you know, this woman, oh my goodness, she had so much love in her. It was just a concentration of love that couldn't be denied. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was comfortable with her immediately like she was a mother. Mm-hmm. So... She asked me if I'd like to go with her because she wanted to show me some things about my family. So I said, yes. Um, So she took me a long distance away from my family. And when she had me alone, she started to like glow and she was turned into like a light. Uh, And then I started to transform. And I was like a toddler at one point and she was leading me by the hand and then at another point, she was holding me, cradling me like an infant. And, oh, the love she had was just tremendous. And she takes me a long distance away, and she goes, okay, I have something to show you here. And she sort of waved her hand, and another tunnel opened up, and it was almost like a cave. Mm-hmm. And I could see back into it very deep. And, like, what was represented in the cave were steps, and at each step, she explained, is a generation of your family. She said, your family has a very long history. Mm. And see here, this is how it looks. So I saw a few generations up close to the entrance to the cave. And then going back, each step progressively was, a, I think, a generation that goes even back further in history. So at the very far end, I saw a very tall but very hunchbacked man with a cane a tall a walking stick actually a very tall one mm-hmm. and he was just standing there all by himself but the ones that were closer to me they often were like couples like married couples and they were sitting in chairs hmm. and uh so yeah so one woman started waving to me and got my attention so i waved back 
I think now that I've done some family history research, genealogy, I think that was my double great grandmother. Hmm. And uh, they didn't come, they didn't come over from Denmark to America like my grandparents did, or great grandparents. Uh, they stayed behind. Hmm. So I, it's kind of special, you know, to be able to meet them that way. Mm-hmm. It's better than finding them on the internet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have some reference that way, like the real. <laughs> so then, uh, this this woman that brought me here to all this, if you don't mind, from now on, I'll just call her mother because that's who she was to me. Okay. And I trusted her completely. Mm-hmm. So, um, mother said, you know, she explained all these different generations and what was going on with it. But then she pointed out that at the very far end of the tunnel, there was a very bright light. And she asked me to look way back there. Do you see that light? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. It was that yellowish and very bright. And she goes, well, that light is coming to meet you. It's coming to see you and just stand here and it will come. And it did. And the light just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it was about the size of a man. And then it stopped in front of me, and then it turned into a man. And I asked Mother, well, who is this? And she was, I think she was kind of introducing me to him, and they were talking about me. So I asked her, who is this? And she said, well, on earth, he went by many names, but... um, she said, they might have told you that his name is Jesus. Right. And she asked me, do, do you recognize that name? And I did, of course. I recognized Jesus. Um, very nice fellow. But you know, what? in church it was always expressed, or the idea was stressed that Jesus was a God and that he was all-powerful. And like, we would be lucky if we ever got to meet him. We should be on our knees worshiping him. We right. should be begging him for mercy and to forgive our sins and all these things. He was just so powerful. We just couldn't even imagine that we would ever get to encounter him. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't like that at all. He was like a son talks to his mother. Mm-hmm. And they would discuss me and what should we do next? Well, I think we should do that. Okay, well, we'll do that next, you know. That, you know, that's the way they were with each other. He wasn't this powerful God that would strike me down if I didn't worship him immediately. It wasn't, mm. wasn't like that. Yeah. So it just seemed pretty normal. But he seemed young, um, like he would have been maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, did the way he, he looked. And did he have that? Very nice guy. Did he have that traditional Jesus kind of look, you know, long hair, beard? what how he is typically portrayed you know he looked the pictures i've seen he they make him look a little more plump and um he wasn't a big man Mm. he was kind of kind of slender and not really very well i'd say just guessing (laughs) of course i was eight years old when i saw him so i would guess that he was under six foot and he looked he didn't look to me, he didn't look beefy and muscular. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks just like a regular guy in the street, mm-hmm. kind of slender. And he didn't demand to be acknowledged and, you know, 
that kind of stuff. Uh, just, I don't know. He's just a typical nice guy is the way he acted to me. Hmm. Um, so mother, after we got introduced, mother said um, that he wants to take you. And then he said, I need to take you. And uh, you need to experience something with me. I'm really struggling for words at this point because I know Jesus said something to me, mm. but I don't know exactly how he said it. But all I know was I was alone with him and mother told me to go with him. Mm. So I did, and I was perfectly comfortable. He was a very nice fellow and I trusted him. And so <clears throat> he took me away from her and he just sort of told me to stand still. And uh, it was kind of like, watch this. <laughs> And then all of a sudden he turned into a light again and he glowed and that light entered me. And then I glowed and I felt a tremendous sense of comfort and love and joy and acceptance. It was, it was wonderful. And I, I expand, he expanded and his light got really big. And then I expanded with him. So it was like we were, mingled together mm -hmm. there for a moment. Um, and then I heard a voice and he was at this point, he was just a light. There was no longer a form of a man. It was just like, and heard a voice and the voice said, um, I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of all things. Hmm. Um, it took me years later to recall that. Um, I heard it actually in church when I was a, still a boy. I heard it being read from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I heard it, I just sat up because it sparked a memory in me. Mm -hmm. I remembered hearing that when I was up in heaven. Did you feel at the time, mm -hmm. did you feel at the time that Jesus was God? Or did you feel like Jesus more was, you know, like this powerful loving being, but not the source creator? That's a good question. Um, once I mingled with the light and we were together, it was like Jesus was there, but we all joined, we both joined together. I believe the light that he used, the light that surrounded us together, actually was God's light. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Because after that happened, then Jesus was not, his presence wasn't felt anymore. And then I knew I was talking to probably, well, how can I put it? I knew that I was talking to God. I don't know how else to explain it. You just know things. Mm-hmm in those situations up in heaven. Mm -hmm. I, nobody had to tell me that it was God. I just knew it. Right. Um, the best I can, the best I can give you, the best description is um, in, in my Catholic, or excuse me, in my Christian background, the way I understood it anyway, as a child was that if you know, Jesus, Jesus can bring you to God. God is the gateway for humanity is the way they explained it. And so if you trust Jesus and have him in his, your heart and you uh, believe in Jesus, then Jesus can open the door for you to be in God's realm. 
Well, that's pretty much what it felt like. Only it's a lot more vague than the way it was described in the Bible. Uh, it was just like Jesus brought me to God. But mm -hmm. in a way, Jesus was there, but he wasn't. It's, it's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. But I, I know that I had a conversation alone with God. Um, he knew me very well. Mm -hmm. And it was a different voice I heard. And it was deep and rumbling. Um, it's like if you were to if you were to be on a mountaintop and hear that deep voice, you'd be certain it would echo in the mountain range, fifty miles away. You would hear it echo back. Um, that's that's how penetrating it was. It just was so deep. Um, and I still identified with the notion or the idea that I was a eight year old boy. So I was a little bit intimidated. I didn't always really feel real sure what I should do. And yet I was constantly reassured that I was loved, that I was safe, that everything was fine, that I had done no wrong, you know, that I was forgiven, whatever. No punishment or nothing like that whatsoever. It was always acceptance and we love you because you are, you know, mm -hmm. But I, I'm starting to remember some of the things God told me. And one thing he said was, I believe he told me, he, he said, I'm going to send you back to earth. But he said, when you're on earth, never forget that I'm your father. Hmm. Never forget that I'm your father. There will be those on earth who will try to trick you or to get you to say that you do not believe in me. Hmm. And he told me to never do that. Always remember that I am your God. Um, and he also he also told me a little bit about Jesus. Uh, I think he asked me if I remembered or if I could, if I could recall what Jesus did for him. And I think I said he died on the cross. I did know that much. Um, and he told me that um, because. Jesus gave his life in my name. Um, he said that Jesus uh, received tremendous rewards from me here in heaven. Um, so he told me that anyone that gives their life, like Jesus did, is rewarded just as much. And he even warned me that um, you may be attacked um, on earth and there will be those who attack you for because of your faith in me hmm. and he goes if you give your life in my name he said your rewards will be tremendous hmm. now isn't that a strange thing for an eight-year-old boy to recall yeah that is interesting but what but what i got the very strong notion i got out of the whole thing was god basically loved me just as much as he said he loves jesus so he told me, you can do as Jesus did and receive tremendous rewards, or you can live your life and not do those things. You may not, you may not have to give up your life in my name. Mm -hmm. You will still be loved. Mm -hmm. There was no requirement from him, uh -huh. you know, that I should be on a death mission. I should go find people who want to kill me for mm -hmm. some reason. I just, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know, maybe I'm talking in circles here, but <laughs> I'm trying to keep it straight for you. So, um, all right, so um, my 
interaction with God and Jesus ended, and Jesus brought me back to mother. And that was when I um, had my life review. Mm -hmm. And I was shown all kinds of incidents and things that had happened to me in my eight years. So I saw my birth. And I do remember seeing something about my birth that something about it just didn't seem right. And I think it was because I saw the doctor spank me so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that came back to me years later when my mother talked about it when she's on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was shown times when uh, I was with family and there was a lot of those times. And I had, I, at the time when I was little, I had aunts and uncles that were still in grade school. Mm-hmm. So my mother came from a big family, like 11 kids, and she was one of the oldest. So that's why I'm so close to some of my aunts and uncles in mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very much loved, very well taken care of. And then Jesus and mother both took me to another barrier of sorts and told me to go through there and experience it. Um, And it did feel an awful lot. Like the whole time they were there with me, they were taking care of me, almost like it was a a babysitter-child relationship. Mm. It was like, you're with us, you're under our care. You know, and they're always making sure I was okay. But they took me to another barrier and they told me to go through it. And I just floated and it was just full of knowledge. It was like the knowledge of the universe. And I was there alone and I felt like I was flying and I was like orbiting a huge planet very slowly. And as I was orbiting this huge planet and flying, information was coming to me. Mm-hmm. And during all this is the first indication I think I had that I had lived a previous life because I would see some bit of knowledge and I would understand it. And then I would say to myself, well, of course, this makes perfect sense. And I knew all this before, but why did I forget it? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's an indication that I had lived a previous life. Mm-hmm. I knew it because I had been through it before. Um, but yeah, apparently when near death people, we, we, we sometimes get to experience all this universal knowledge. Uh, when when we come back, we forget it. Mm -hmm. It's, we can't really recall all of it. I can recall certain things. Um, I do recall seeing a very specific thing about the relationship between plants and humans and how plants sink their roots into the soil and how that's all fine and good and, and life and God's power helps it grow, but it's enhanced if humanity helps it. So it's like we're all intermingled mm-hmm. with it. And it's the way humanity helps things grow that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember seeing something about that. Mm-hmm. I remember like mathematical equations flying past me, like MC equals something squared, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I saw that I saw the the diagram like somebody was figuring out the solution to the problem, and it was like being written in front of me, and then it would disappear because it was complete. And then another mathematical problem would show up, 
very strange. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, I heard, well, then I saw also vibrations. And this is something that came back to me recently. And I'd say within the last two or three years, because I've met other near-death people, like at a conference. Mm-hmm. And I remember them talking about vibrations in heaven. It, it took me a while to remember it, but it has come back. And I do remember Heaven is that area of knowledge up in heaven is filled with vibrations. And I would just stop for a little while and just listen. And then I would hear them through heaven. Sometimes they're a long distance away. Sometimes they were really close. But the vibrations almost sounded like a very large structure groaning and growing, if you can imagine. And it would be like when it was deep, it was just like, and it would just rumble. Um, then other times there were really high notes and it was almost like chirping like birds hmm. were singing. Mm-hmm. Very high notes. But I could see the vibrations that go up a wall, like the ripples. You could see that. And I, rem- I kind of remember there were some colors involved when all that happened. So, you know, when I... When I hear like a, a monks who uh, meditate and mm-hmm. they kind of go, uh, when they meditate, mm-hmm. when I hear a group of them do that, boy, that sounds really close. It sounds really close to what I heard. And I'm, I'm starting to believe that like some people believe in gongs and everything, the really deep gongs. Mm-hmm. Those gongs do something to me. When I hear them, it's like they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. They really are. Mm-hmm. How did you get back into your body? Um, well, um, after, well, mother took me and showed me other places in heaven um, and basically gave me a tour of heaven. Mm-hmm. And then mother eventually took me back to my relatives where I first entered. And then there was some discussion over whether or not I should go back to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, mother asked me if I wanted to go back to earth and I couldn't make up my mind because mm. I really liked it up there. <laughs> I mean, to be a little kid, I was kind of used to being scolded all the time mm. and, but nobody up there would do that. I can say whatever I wanted and nobody would tell me to be quiet. You know, I was always listened to and it was always appreciated. Mm. It was nice. So, um, yeah, mother came to me and said, we have to decide whether or not you go back to earth. And uh, I couldn't make up my mind. And and uh, she said, well, if you stay up here, then she showed me another chair. They asked me, do you like your grandfather's chair? And I said, yeah, it's a great chair, but I didn't understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Mother showed me another chair and it was short. The back was short and it looked more modern. And she even had me sit in it for a while. And so I asked her, well, what's the importance of my having my own chair? And she said, well, it's like a place of honor. If you stay with us, that chair will be yours forever. And you'll be honored in that chair forever. I was like, wow. But the honor part of it, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it. So I got up and I went back to my grandparents my great-grandparents, and kept talking with them. They were more fun. 
mother came to me again and said, so are you going to stay here or do you want to go back down? Um, so I got, to, something was said about my mother on earth. And she said, if you, if you stay up here, your mother on earth is going to be very sad. And she even told me that she's praying and she wants you back. Hmm. And I said, oh, that, that I could relate to. And then hmm. I said, oh, well, will you let me go down there and tell her it's really nice up here and I'm okay? And mother said, no, either you stay up here with us or you go down. So I said, okay, I guess I better go back. I don't want my mother to be sad. Mm. So the same guy that pulled me up out of the cloud put me back down in it. So that would have been my dad's cousin, Eddie. Mm -hmm. He said goodbye. All my relatives said goodbye. One great-grandmother protested. She didn't want me to leave. Mm. <laughs> Bless her heart. But they took me to the cloud, and Eddie pushed me back down, and then I was in another tunnel. Only going back, it wasn't quite so pleasant. It was mm. a lot more rough, and I felt confined and squeezed. And then what's crazy is um, at one point, I was kind of spit out of the tunnel, and I looked back up at it, and it was gold or golden colored. And it almost had the shape of a uterus, which is mm. really strange. Interesting. But it almost had the shape of a uterus, yeah. Then I floated back down to earth. My next memory is I'm floating above my body, and my body is in the hospital room where it all started. And I entered my body from the back of my head, feet first. And I slipped back into my body. And the moment I was back, I was like, why did I come back? Oh, the sickness was waiting for me. And I felt terrible. Uh, I was cursing myself. Well, not cursing, but I was yeah. like, sorry that I had made the decision. And then, I don't know, I, it, I must've just passed out. And then after several minutes, I, I could tell people it was like mumbling around me. And then I finally opened my eyes and, my parents were there, my grandparents. One grandmother was holding my hand and rubbing it real gently. And it was Grandma Bertha. And uh, as soon as I could talk, I said, Grandma, I was in heaven. I met your mother. Oh. She's really nice. Uh -huh. And my grandma Bertha, she was a little bit weak in that area, you mm -hmm. know, got spooked easily. And she had this voice, she kind of like, oh, you know, uh -huh. she wasn't sure about it. She didn't know what to think. But then all of a sudden, all the, all the people in the room, they're all talking real fast. Oh, you must have just had a dream. You were really sick. Wow, you had quite a dream, didn't uh -huh. you? Well, you're back now. You're with us. You're okay. Uh -huh. And I was, I felt a little bit perturbed with them. It was like, no, I'm telling you, I went up to heaven. I know it's real. And nobody believed me. Did you ever find but, out later after your surgery, if you had had any complications during surgery or if you'd actually died during surgery or anything? All I know is what my mother told me. Um, actually, my doctor's still alive, believe it or not. Wow. He's still alive. But um, he came back to the to the room and told her that I may not make it. Hmm. 
that I I was in pretty bad shape because they discovered my appendix had burst. Yeah. And all that stuff, the pus and stuff had been released. But fortunately, the surgeon the surgeon found that it all kind of stayed in a knot, kind of a tight knot. It wasn't liquid mm. mostly. It was in a knot. So he was able to lift it out. And then they uh, saved me with uh, penicillin and a lot of shots. Mm. And I had a tube in my gut. My gut stayed open for two, about two more weeks with the tube, and it was draining out stuff. Mm-hmm. Constant penicillin shots. They'd knock me out every night wake me up every morning, uh, pin pricks to test my blood constant, mm-hmm. you know, looking for infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of touch and go. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I know is the doctor told my mother that I may not make it. Right. But nothing was said about they thought they lost me. Yeah. Well, I want to let everybody know that, unfortunately, I have a time limit, but Ken here has a book yeah. and you can find out a lot more of this story in his book and where can we get your book at by the way it's a uh, michellebooks.com it's uh, spelled m-i-s-e-a-l books.com hmm. interesting so it's not on amazon or google yeah. books or anything like that no it's a small publisher and the fellow i work with um he's a near-death experiencer too oh okay um, so yeah, for now it's just available in paper book, hmm. paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe eventually we'll make it available through Amazon, but mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Um, do you, I haven't really talked to my publisher about it. Do you interact with the public at all? Like, do you have a Facebook page or, you know, are people able to email you and talk to you about your story or are you more of a private person? You know, when it comes to Facebook, I have a lot of family um, in my Facebook, my personal Facebook, and I kind of tend to keep it to people that I know. Mm-hmm. But in uh, Twitter, I can be contacted there, and I will answer if okay. you have a excuse me if you have a direct question. So, uh, what is your Twitter you account? Read, it's at Ken underscore. Leth, L-E-T-H, mm-hmm. Ken underscore Leth, L-E-T-H, at Twitter.com. Okay, great. Yeah, it's at Ken underscore Leth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other projects that right. you're working on right now that you want people to know about? No, I really don't. I, I'm, I'm 65. I'm mm-hmm. retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I live way out in the country. I'm isolated. I'm just taking... Life one day at a time, trying to stay away from COVID. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, I'm not out looking for dollars, you know. I'm not begging for dollars mm-hmm. and projects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I live a pretty sedentary life and pretty private. And, and I've been fortunate. People pretty much leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if you do message me on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, I'll answer. Oh, that's great. Um, do you feel like that you've had after effects from this that you've had to manage within your life? Uh, I've been attacked by spirits a time or two. Really? Um, yeah. And one of them was a relative and it was a, it was an aunt through marriage and she was not a nice person and she gave me some trouble. 
but that was just like a one afternoon incident and then it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a really angry spirit come to me and I think it was a demon. I had to drive it away, but I couldn't do it by myself. I had to have God's help. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I can see spirits every so often. There was, I live in a really old house. It's this year, it's a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And I believe the woman that first lived here, I've seen her walk around in here a couple of times. Oh, wow. Uh, but the, you know, the funny thing is when a spirit knows that I can see it, mm-hmm. they, they disappear and I usually don't see them again. Mm. And I don't know why. Or sometimes I'll just see them pass by. But it's like the, instant they recognize that I can see them, then they just go away. They, I don't know what it is. I've heard that happens to other people too. But I, I can sense them around me. And what I've discovered is if I'm in a place where, like a really old place, where potentially there's a lot of spirits hanging out, I've learned that drinking is not a good idea. Mm, interesting. Uh, I can sense them more when I'm drinking. I can sense them more. You'd think it would dull my senses, but it doesn't. And I can sense them. And sometimes they try to talk to me. And I have had spirits like in a, I've been to a cemetery before where I struck up conversations with the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, they sound like a real high pitched squeaking sound, like a violin. Oh, wow. When I hear them. And I don't hear the words, but somehow the words are kind of like come to me and I know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And often, often they're confused about their death. They don't know why they're dead. They don't even know they're dead sometimes. Yeah. It makes and, a lot uh, of sense that. So, you know. yeah. Yeah. I talk to them if I can. Maybe sometimes you just have to let them know that, Hey, you're not in your body anymore. You might want to go to heaven or go find a new body or something since they're kind of disoriented. Sometimes they don't listen very well. Sometimes they're so preoccupied with their confusion mm-hmm. that it's really hard to get through to them. Because mm-hmm. I went up to a cemetery in Idaho Springs, Colorado. And the lady there, I was by a really old tombstone. I mean, it was so old that it was tilted. And there were a couple other tombstones there. Well, there was a woman that was there with two or three of her children. She's buried there. And she described where she died. And I saw an old wood shack and they were sitting on the floor up against the wall and they died there from sickness. Um, She kept telling me, I can't leave. I have to wait for my brother. My brother's coming back for me. I have to wait for him. My brother needs to know where I am. And that's all she kept saying to me. And I couldn't get her to stop, you know, but what she was expressing was concern for others. Yeah. You know, I hate watching shows like on TV where, you know, there's people investigating the sightings of spirits. I hate it when they come to you with this automatic, all spirits are evil. And because they're here, they're evil. That's just not true. Right. They're just, in a lot of ways, they're just like us. Yeah, somebody else that I recently had on as a guest said the reason spirits are still here is that they're in shock or don't understand that they're dead or Mm -hmm. they love somebody else more than their self. So they're here for them, kind of like what you're saying. Yeah, they're here for someone else. Yeah. I I live in a really small community. Just across the street is an old church that was built in 1906. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it is still being preserved by the local people. Mm. There was a young man in there. I, I brought my daughter. She was in her teens. And I brought my daughter, and we were over there. It's like a museum, and we were looking at this church. There was a spirit there that followed us home. Oh, wow. It followed us. My daughter kept saying, there's something weird going on, and she felt uncomfortable. So we drove like 20 miles to my parents' house, and she kept telling me, Dad, something weird followed us from that church. So she went to go lay down in a bed. Then I saw it, and it come walking behind her. And it had to pass me to get to her, and I walked past, and I saw it, and it was um, a very handsome young man, mm-hmm. blonde hair, probably died when he was in his late teens. Um, and he had very old clothing on. And as soon as he saw me, he disappeared, and I smelled mothballs. So apparently the clothes he was buried in had been packed in mothballs. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can sometimes smell them, too. Oh, that's interesting. That relative that attacked me, um, that aunt, um, she always washed up with uh, ivory soap. Uh, when I was a kid, she'd go by me and I would, there is a scent to that soap. They say there's no scent, but you can smell it. Mm-hmm. And she'd walk by me and I'd, I'd detect that, that scent. Well, that's how I knew who was attacking me. It was at a family reunion. She was dead. She came to me in the spirit form. Mm-hmm. She came there to harass some relatives that she didn't like. Mm. And she came to me for a while. When she left, I smelled ivory soap, and I knew exactly who it was. Wow. That's interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Ken, before we wrap it up here, do you have a message that you would like to leave us with? Um. Yeah, you know, with COVID and everything, and a lot more people dying, it just seems, it just bothers me so much that so many people are so frightened of dying. Mm-hmm. And you really don't need to be. It's mm. it's, it's an extension of life, actually. Mm. Um, we, we get so sad when we find out that somebody died alone. Well, we, don't, we don't have to feel that way. They are taken care of. Once they leave their bodies, they are taken care of. But there's a trick to it. I got stuck in the darkness and I was attacked and it was fear. I believe that brought them, brought the attack to me. Call out for God, go looking for God. If you're a person, you, you know, you're going to die. Don't be afraid. Fill your heart with love. Mm -hmm. Think about God. Think about all the wonderful things that people have done for you. Try to fill your heart with as much love as you can. And I promise once you get to the other side, it'll be much easier for you. Mm. I would hate to hear that people die in fear, so much fear that they're crippled, and then they get attacked like I was, and you really don't have to worry about it. Mm. Um, And I I hope I'm giving you instructions that make sense. But once you've been through it, once you're separated from your body, I I just know that if I'd gone looking for God, or just somehow it understood that heaven is the next step and that's where I need to go, I think I would have been much better off. Mm. That was just too little to understand. That was a great message. And um, this is a really interesting podcast. I wasn't, I wish I wasn't worried about time, but I hope that I get you back again because I really think we need a part two on this because there's a lot more story there. And if people don't want to wait for the part two, yeah. then go get his book. <laughs> 
in the meantime, um, I think we would be a really interesting continue because there's more there that I think we didn't get to as well as there's more interesting stuff that happened to you after you came back. Yeah. And things that often if I'd share with relatives, they just would not listen. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is, as religious as my mother was, and as much as she told me that she believed me when I said I went to heaven, if I would bring up some of these incidents that happened to me, um, her religion would kick in. And apparently she was told that you do not deal with those things. You don't acknowledge them. You don't deal with them. Mm-hmm. You don't accept them in your life because they're potentially evil and they can hurt you. Right. Well, here I was, these things are happening to me. I had no control over it. And I had to learn how to deal with it on my own. Yeah. So I wish people were more educated about it because um, you don't have to go through all that crap. Yeah. The worst of it is how people judge each other down here. Yeah. Can you imagine? I was in the presence of Jesus. But when I told some church going people that one time I was attacked by a demon, they backed up and they referred to their religion. And they said, we were taught the people that don't live their lives correctly are the only ones that ever get attacked by those things. You need to go to church. (laughs) Oh, please. Don't give me that self-righteous. I go to church every day stuff and I'm living my life better than you. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Never tell a near death experiencer that they don't have enough faith in God. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. (laughs) That's a stretch, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. All right, Ken. Well, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me your time today. Well, thank you. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Yeah, you too. I'm I'm about ready to have a strong drink. Oh. (laughs) Good night. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.